I trust in the Lord we're all thankful to be here this morning. I ask to interest in your prayers as uh, we endeavor to speak about the Lord. If you will pray for me that the Lord would bless this morning, that his name would be honored and glorified, and something would be said to edify the body of Christ this morning. This morning I want to talk about it. Now, it in the scriptures is not a person. It's an altar. It's found in Joshua chapter 22, verse 34. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad call the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. Now, I want to give you a little history to get up to where this altar is right here. You remember that Moses delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, carried them up to the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea, they went across. They stayed in the wilderness about 40 years there with Moses, but then it was time for the children of Israel to be carried to the Promised Land. Okay, as they come up to the Promised Land and they're journeying toward it, they first had to go through some volatile territory. They come up and there's a king named Song. Uh, uh, he was the uh, king of Hezbon and another king named Og and he was the king of Bashan. And they asked that they could travel through their land but they wouldn't permit it. They would not let them go even though they promised to stay on the road, not to venture off, to go through there just to get across to the promised land. Well, they wouldn't let it, so they went to war with them, and Israel took over the land of Sion and Og, which was on the east side of the Jordan River. So they come up to time to pass over into Jordan, or pass over Jordan into the Promised Land, into Canaan's land, and two and a half of the tribes there did not want to go over. They wanted to stay on the east side of the river. And that was Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And the reason they wanted to stay over here is they had much cattle and this land over here was just ideal to have cattle. So they did not want to pass over. But Moses made them promise before they could do that. He says, now all 12 nations have fought this battle over here. All 12 nations have helped gather this land. But now you can't just sit down and let these other nine and a half go over here and fight their battles. You must cross over the River Jordan, fight with them until all of them have gotten their inheritance over here and you've got to wait till everyone has taken his inheritance on this side of the land then you can come back over. That was the promise made to them. Now I want to try to draw you a picture today to emphasize what I'm trying to talk about. I want you to picture this aisle right here being the Jordan River. And the foyer back there would be the Sea of Galilee and up here where I stand would be the Dead Sea. Now all the land on this side was called Canaan. It run from above the uh, Sea of Galilee down below the Sea of uh, the Dead Sea. You had the Jordan River, a boundary on this side, and the Mediterranean Sea was over here. 
and all this land was called Canaan. Now, what does Canaan represent? Well, it represents many things in the Bible. One way, it's a type of the kingdom here. But mostly I want to look at Canaan being a type of heaven. That Canaan was a type of heaven. We sing songs about Canaan being a type of heaven. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul never dies. There we're singing about Canaan being heaven where the soul never dies. I'm on my way to Canaan. I'm on my way to Canaan. I'm on my way to Canaan, to the new Jerusalem. There you got Canaan be again, a type of heaven. Now look at this Jordan River. We sing this song. There is a river we must cross over. He's talking about the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is not a boundary. The Jordan River is representing death here. Because listen to this first verse. There is a river we must pass over when life's sun goes to sleep in the west. That's the description of dying. Sleeping here is, a rep, is talking about dying. And he says, at death we cross over to that land of sweet rest. Canaan, heaven, again. And you could go on with the songs that where Canaan is a picture of heaven. But these two and a half tribes wanted to stay over here. Now, I don't want anybody moving over here because I've just told you this side is heaven. And I don't want you coming over here. Because in a minute, I hope that I've got you satisfied this side over here is, is plenty good enough to stay over here. Now, in the scriptures, you've got these 12 sons of Jacob. Nine and a half have come over here for their inheritance. Now these two and a half are going to go over there to their inheritance. This must have been fulfilled first. Picture of heaven. Heaven is now. Heaven is real. Heaven has people that has gone there. Heaven has people that are going there. And we all trust one day we're going there. Heaven is real. It's a place that we desire. It's an inheritance. Well, what about this side? The scripture says that Moses gave it to them for their inheritance. Matter of fact, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and read that chapter, it said that the Lord commanded Moses to give the children of Israel this covenant. Now the Lord is in this. The Lord and Moses are giving the children of Israel this land. Now let me say this about the children of Israel, these 12 sons. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and he's talking about the inheritances there that was divided among the people. But then he says this, but the Lord's portion is his people, not the land. He's saying what the Lord's inheritance is. The Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He said, Jacob is the lot or the essence of his inheritance. Now look what Jacob's sons represent. Jacob's son represents Israel, all Israel, and in one aspect, he, they represent all the family of God because spiritually we're all Israelites under God. 
If ye be Christ, enter ye Abraham's seeds and heirs of the promise. So it took all 12 of Jacob's sons to represent all the family of God. Now, you got nine and a half over here, two and a half over here. You'll say, well, these are not going to heaven. These are not going to heaven. You could have some of our churches down the road would look at this picture right now and say, see there? If people make the wrong decision, they miss out on heaven. They did not want to go over there. They wanted to go over there. And because they made the wrong decision, they missed out on heaven. Well, I got an answer for that. What about Moses? Moses was begging to go over here. He was begging to go over there. But the Lord didn't let him. He was begging so much that the Lord told him, Moses, don't bring this up again. He told him, don't bring this up again. So his desire to go over here didn't get him over there. He's over here. He's over here with uh, Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. Now it's time for me to tell you what I believe this over here represents and then try to prove it by the scriptures. If this represents heaven where their inheritance was and this is called their inheritance, where can that be? Or where to me that, that has to be? And to me, it has to be in the new heaven and new earth. Because in the new heaven and new earth, it is said to be a place of inheritance. Now, we think about heaven all the time. We talk about heaven all the time. We preach about heaven all the time. We sing about heaven all the time. And very little thought is given to this. The new heaven, new earth. You probably over your lifetime hadn't heard probably much preaching on it. And, you know, but here's what the thing about it is. When these children of Israel had come over here and had fought and had gotten all their land and they had all got their inheritance, then it was time for uh, Joshua to let Reuben and Gad and Manasseh go back across to their inheritance. He said, y'all have done the commandment Moses give you. You have fulfilled it. You can go back across there and gather your inheritance. And so these three start back toward the Jordan River. And before they crossed over, they built an altar on this side of the river. And these nine and a half brothers found out about it. And they were mad and they were distraught and they were coming to make war against them. Because they had thought they had made that altar to sacrifice unto other gods and that would pollute their land. They thought that they were going to sacrifice to other gods and that would pollute their land. So here they come after their own brothers. But... Uh, 
important part, they had a sane leader named Phineas, the priest. He says, first, let's find out what they say about that altar before we start war with them. Let's see what they say about that altar. So Reuben and Gad, they speak up. And Reuben says, now the Lord knoweth this. He knoweth our hearts. And if we are in this for destruction or for sin, then let him not protect us against y'all. He said, the Lord knoweth this. He said, we did not build that altar to sacrifice on it. He said, we built that, off, off, uh, that offer for one purpose, that it be a witness. A witness for what? That the God you serve over here, heaven, is the God we're going to serve over here. Same God over there is going to be the same God over here. The same God in heaven will be the same God in the new heaven, new earth. Same God. And they were satisfied with their offering and blessed them to go on. Now, why is that important? People already got an impression of what heaven is. You got one in your mind, and I'm sure we all do, what heaven must be like. And the reason people really don't even want to hear you talk about new heaven, new earth, because I don't want you changing what I already feel about heaven. I don't want you distorting things and coming up with something I had never heard of that's going to distort my view of heaven. Well, I want to try to satisfy your mind that whatever I say about this corresponds with this and harmonizes it to a T. It will harmonize it to a T. When we go to the scriptures and we look at scriptures that talk about what we think are heaven, sometimes we find out they were talking about not heaven, but the new heaven, new earth. Go with me to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, John begins like this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He says, no more tears, no more death, no more crying. We've always considered that to be what heaven's going to be like. But he actually said it about the new heavens and new earth. But that's okay if it's here too. 
That's the same way it is over there, but I'm trying to show you that this complements with this over here. New heaven, new earth. This is real, this is now. This over here is yet to come. Now there's been preachers try to spiritualize this into the church or into certain aspects of now. But to me that doesn't fit. It can't fit. Why? Because I go to 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3 we find a chapter that is dealing with the second coming of Christ. And in verse 10 it says this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We realize that that's a verse that's talking about when the Lord comes back, these things are going to happen. He said the uh, heavens shall pass away. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth and the works therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and in godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day, when wherein the heavens will be on fire and be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with her fervent heat. Nevertheless... We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. You see, the new heavens and new earth hadn't come when the Lord comes back. Now, this morning, this is new heaven, new earth 101, the basic course. The graduate course will come later from Brother Ronald and other men. But this is just the basics. But he's telling us that the new heavens and new earth will not appear until at least after the Lord has come back. Because we're still looking for it, he says. The heavens on fire. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. But I want to go to some scriptures that has already told you about this and to look for it. When we go to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins with the Beatitudes. Look what he says in Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. For what? They shall inherit the earth. Now, is he talking about this earth right now? Well, if I can inherit it, I wouldn't want it, this sin-cursed earth. And we don't have this earth. The wicked have it. They're in control of it. They're over it. What is he talking about? He's talking about here the new heavens and new earth. And if you really want to learn about the new heavens and new earth, go to Psalms 37. That psalm is about the new heavens and new earth. Five times in that psalms, he will tell you this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. But here's what you'll find in Psalms 37. 
He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and they shall delight in the abundance of peace. It's going to be a place of peace. And why is it going to be a place of peace? You read Psalms 37, for the wicked are not there. The wicked shall not be. He has done separated the wicked from the, uh, the righteous. He shall separate the wicked from the righteous. The wicked are not there. Tell you another place to me. It's talking about new heavens, new earth. When Job says this, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at the latter day, where? Upon the earth. And though skin worms shall destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Now, I know there's preachers that say when he says, I know that my Redeemer living shall stand on the latter day upon the earth. They said that was fulfilled when Christ came and went to the cross, that he stood on the earth then. Well, Job's eyes didn't see that then. Job's eyes was not, uh, went to the resurrection. He's talking about the new heavens and new earth here when he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And those skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And mine eyes shall behold and not another. That can only be fulfilled in the new heaven, new earth. Now, let me ask you this question. This can be about heaven or new heaven, new earth. You can take it to either one you want to. What is going to be the most special thing about heaven? We'll just say heaven right now. What is going to be the most special thing about heaven? Oh, I've got a mansion waiting up there. That would be nice, but that ain't the most special thing about heaven. I can't wait to see those streets of gold and all those pearls and all that beautiful way description of heaven has been. I just can't wait to see how beautiful heaven is. Another one, idea of heaven. I can't wait to see my mom, my dad. They are passed and gone to heaven. And you know people like that. They just dream about the day of having a reunion with a loved one that they've had to give up. And to, they, to them, that's going to be the most special thing. All those things are nice, but that is not the most special thing about heaven. Paul tells us what the most special thing about heaven is. And if you don't hear anything, I hope you hear this. What the most special thing about heaven is going to be. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. The most special thing about heaven is being with Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if he's in the new heavens, new earth, I ain't worried about going there because the most special thing is to be with Christ. To be with Christ. Now you feel safer about sitting over here? Because this is this. Just in a different form we're fixing to get to. This is this.
what you say about heaven responds to this, and what you say about heaven responds to this, and it doesn't matter as long as Christ is there. As long as I'm with Christ, I don't care if it's in heaven or the new heaven, new earth, as long as I'm with him, everything will be great. And it will be far better. Far better than what? Far better than you can imagine even right now. You may be lifted up on high and you may think you can see into heaven right now. But I'm going to tell you, you cannot imagine yet just how great it's going to be to be with Christ. That's pretty good to come to church and hear men get caught up in the spirit and preach about Christ. And that's good. We love to think about Christ. We love to hear about Christ being preached. But that doesn't hold a candle to the day we get to go and meet Christ. We get to be with Christ. That is far better. Well, Brother Sammy, if heaven is perfect, and I'm telling you it is, why will there be a new heaven and new earth? Well, let me consider a couple other things to get to that. What was Jesus before he was born of Mary? He was in the Godhead. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Jesus was perfect before he was ever born into this world. He was the Son of God then. But what did Jesus do? Jesus come into this world and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now look what Jesus did. He took upon him an earthly body that he got from Mary. Here's my picture, and I'm going to try to go back. I was on uh, 1 Corinthians last night in chapter 15. I'm going to try to use a verse out of there to show what I'm doing. Here you have the celestial. Jesus in the Godhead. Celestial means from heaven. It's heavenly. But Jesus took upon him the terrestrial. He took on him a natural body. But it wasn't glorified. Matter of fact, you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and he describes the body that Jesus had. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know what kind of body he had? He had one that looked like us, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, man was created in the image of God, but he lost that the day Adam sinned. We were no longer in the image of God. But Jesus Christ came in this world to take on our image, which we had lost, so that we could return one day to be back into his image. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus looked like any sinner here. That's what he had the appearance of. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
but he was a combination of the celestial and the terrestrial. He was the son of God, he was the son of man, all at the same time. Interwoven, and I couldn't explain it more than that, that he was all God and all man. He was all celestial and all terrestrial at the same time. Then he was crucified and he was buried. And Jesus could have ascended back into heaven to be back where he was in the beginning, a celestial being in the Godhead. He could have been back there with uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost back there, but he didn't. He was resurrected from the dead, and there's that body back. And he ascends up into heaven in that body. But when he gets to heaven, that body changes to his glorious body. And when he comes back one day, he's coming back in that body, but it will be a glorious body. It is so glorious that the scriptures tells us that when the Lord comes back, we must be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Why do we have to be changed that fast? Because his body is so glorious that if we're not changed like him, it would, it would de destroy us. Because the man of sin is going to be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. He's coming back in that glorious body. And the man of sin will be destroyed with that. So in a moment, in a twinkling of that, that we're going to be resurrected. And as Paul told us in Philippians, who shall change our vile body like unto his own glorious body? Now look what's going to happen here. My mom, my dad, my sister, I trust today, their soul and spirit is with the Lord. And that's fine, that's perfect. They're in a perfect stage. But it won't be complete till their bodies are raised out of that ground, united with that soul and spirit, and be given a glorious body. Then the completion will be through. Now look what he's gonna do to this earth. This earth was a sin-cursed earth. And the scripture says it was, shall melt with fervent heat. And you know what you, happens when you burn something so hot? It takes away all the dross off of it. You're going to have all the dross taken away from it. It's not going to be sin cursed no more. Then I go to Revelation 21, 22 and what I read. I read that the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Where is it coming? To this new earth. To this new earth. And it will be the celestial with the terrestrial in a glorified state. It's going to be that way in a glorified state. Now, I'm not through with this Jordan River. I once said it was a boundary for Canaan. 
I once said it was a betrayal of death when you cross over here going into Jordan. Now let's go to Revelation 21, 22. In Revelation 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. He showed me a river of life. Now we got Jordan River being a portrayal of life. And now what we've got a portrayal of is this with the union of this together. Heaven and the new heavens and the new earth are now going to be joined together. Let me show you a portrayal of that in the scriptures. When the Lord brought those children of Israel into the promised land, and I used to ask people, but I've done give it away. I used to ask them this trick question. Do y'all believe Moses went into the promised land? And most people say, no, the Lord didn't let him go into the promised land. Well, he promised that land over there to uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. What the scripture says, Moses was not allowed to go over Jordan into Canaan's land. That's what the scripture says. It does not say he was not in the promised land. It said he was not allowed to go over uh, uh, Jordan into Canaan's land. But now, I want you to read this picture here with me, if you would. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. In Deuteronomy chapter 3. In verse 23, Moses writes, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness in thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? I pray thee, let me go over and see that good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon, but the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it, be, let it suffice thee, speak no more to me of this matter. He must have been bugging the Lord for a long time. The Lord finally just got tired of it. Let's don't bring this up again. You're not going over. But now look what he tells him to do. He said, get thee up in the top of Pisgah. Now, Pisgah would be right behind where Brother John is right there. It's a mountain in Nebo. It's in uh, Reuben's part of the, uh, the inheritance there. And he tells him to go up, and he's going to let him view the land. But listen to the directions he gives him. He said, get thee up in the top of Pisgah, and lift up thine eyes westward. Okay, we're over here, and I trust this is westward. Even in the description it is, it's west over the, the river there into the promised land. He told him to look westward, then he told him to look northward, 
You see what I'm saying? If I look northward, then he told him to look southward. He could see over here the bottom of uh, Judah's land over here. Then he said, look eastward. Well, if I'm looking eastward, I can't see that. But I can see this. See, he's including that to Moses already. This is going to be a part of the inheritance of his people when he told him to look eastward. Because you can't see it no more if you turn looking out that window. But you can sure see this. Look at another fact about this land. When the Lord brought Abraham in it, he told Abraham to do the same thing, to view the land. He said, look northward and southward and eastward and westward. To thee will I give it to thee and to thy seed after thee. Here the Lord promises Abraham this land. Yet you find something very strange when you go to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is preaching, he begins his sermon over there with Abraham. And listen to what he says about Abraham. And he said unto thee, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Iran. And from thence his father died and he removed him in the land wherein you dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. Now this is Stephen preaching about Abraham and the promised land. He gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. You know, Abraham did not own a foot of that land. He hadn't inherited yet. When does that fulfillment come to pass? He didn't have a foot on it. When his wife died, he had to buy a piece of land just to bury her. He didn't own any land over there. He had to buy a piece of land just to bury her. I'm going to tell you, the day he died, that fulfillment came through. His inheritance was in Canaan, that Canaan. That's when that, uh, that uh, fulfillment of that promise, to thee will I give it. But he says, northward, southward, eastward, westward. Not only will you have heaven, you'll also have inheritance in the new heaven and new earth when I create that. And it's just going to be an embodiment of the new Jerusalem well, let's look at the New Jerusalem for just a second. Back in Revelation 21, at the pictures we find in that city. Now 12, there were 12 sons of Jacob, a very unique number. It stands for completeness. It takes 12 to make a complete set. There were 12 apostles, and as soon as one died, they hurriedly went to get another one to have the complete set. Listen to this New Jerusalem as it's described and in the twelves that we find given to us in, in Revelation 21. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, holy Jerusalem, 
Now listen to what it's doing. Descending out of heaven from God. There he's telling us that a heavenly city's coming down from heaven out of God. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a great a wall, great and high, and had 12 gates. And at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And at the gate, and he said, and the names written thereon are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. He said, these 12 gates, and that's what's telling me it's completeness, that every child of God has an entrance into heaven. They represent all of God's family, and there is an entrance into heaven for all of God's people. And it includes Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. Their names were on that city already, even though they're over here. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Had three gates on there. And as you keep reading, it seems like, well, that's a lot of gates. Not when he's speaking to tell you how big that city was. <laughs> he describes this new Jerusalem. And he says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he had talked with me with a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the walls thereof. And the city lies four square and the length of it is as large as the breadth of it. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. 12,000 furlongs. Now, today that's usually only applied to horse racing uh, people to know how many furlongs a race is. But I tell you, it takes eight furlongs for a mile. Okay? Eight are going to 12,000, 1,500 times. So he's saying that this city is 1,500 miles this way, about 1,500 miles this way, about 1,500 miles this way. That is big enough that if you take all the water off the earth and you're just left with the land, that that's plenty to cover that land. If it's 1,500 miles that way, it would cover the earth. And that's what's going to be a combination of in the new heaven, new earth. It's a celestial with a terrestrial. But my whole purpose is to remember Ed. God we serve here will be the God we serve here. And that's good enough for me if I never understand it. As long as I know if Jesus is here and Jesus is here, they're both going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Because the best part of heaven or the new heaven and new earth is going to be here. To depart and be with Christ. And that is far better. And whether I find it in the new uh, the heaven or the new heaven, new earth, to depart and be with Christ is far better. And we'll be satisfied wherever how it is. But the scriptures are telling us not to avoid this topic. 
put the look forward to it. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth. And Psalm 37 said, we shall delight ourselves in the abundance of peace. Paul says in 2 Peter chapter 3, we should delight ourselves in the righteousness that we will find when that comes. It's grand and glorious, no matter how you look at it. But I hope we have now just given a seed for you. If Brother Ronald gets up next Sunday or the next and says, I want to preach on a new heavens, new earth, be eager to learn. Because it's not going to take away, it's going to complement what you already believe about heaven. And in that, God bless you. Barbecue.